Hey everybody, how's it going today? You might notice that I am completely all by myself. Rob and Brandon left me unsupervised. What were they thinking? Uh, no telling there actually. But in any case, this is Josh. I am Josh and this is the Geek Matrix DC Comics Review Show episode 186. Legacy Week 4,542, that, that's how many uh, weeks DC is about, uh, been around about, um, at least to our closest estimate. Anyway, um, like I mentioned before, we are the Geek Matrix. You can find everything Geek Matrix on our website, thegeekmatrixpod.com. Links to all of our socials, our podcasts, um, on all of the different platforms, our Substack reviews, um blue sky even we're pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts and on socials uh, and with that let me tell you about the books that i'm going to cover this week i am sure that there is news i have been sick for three days um still trying to get it out of my nose and uh if I'm being honest, usually I leave it up to Rob and Brandon to stay current on everything that's been going on in comics worlds. But uh, today, it's just me, and I've let you down. Google's out there. But uh, the books that we've got today, we have got quite a few of them, 10 to be exact. I'm going to cover five in full and five very 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 briefly in the honorable mentions and we're gonna go ahead and just skip that bonus show it's just me and you should not have to pay for josh at least just josh um and with that let me go ahead and tell you the books that we're going to be doing i'm gonna jump right into it after this john constantine hellblazer dead in america number two justice league versus godzilla versus kong number five batman superman world's finest number 24 wonder woman number six superman number 11 catwoman number 62 green lantern war journal number six nightwing number 111 titans number eight and batman number 144 are you over there at the website yet make sure you follow us everywhere um, so let me go ahead and get the honorable mentions out of the way. I took it upon myself to take three of the books. See, this is what I mean by them leaving me unsupervised. I took three of the books that I couldn't stand and put them on honorable mentions. They'll come back next. And I touched on them just a little tiny bit, but, um, Hey, that's what you get. Don't let the gremlins out of the box. Right. So, John Constantine Hellblazer, Dead in America number two. I am in love with this all the way around. Campbell, uh, Campbell and Belair masterfully exhibit a Constantine story that only Cy Spurrier could have written. And that sounded a little pretentious saying that just now, but um, I gave it a 9.5 out of 10. Uh, next up, Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong number five. It is issue number five. This is a gimmick story. Shouldn't it have started sucking by now? Because it's not. Somebody help me. I really dig this series. I gave this issue an eight out of ten. And then the next three are me, 
giving myself a little bit of respite without having to dig too far into it. I'm just kidding. You know, I read all of the books. I read all of the books every week, even when I'm not on the show. So, first up, Batman Superman's World's Finest number 24. This is literally the only way possible that they could have wrapped this up. Uh, most of it, most of most people, most readers will say that it was a, a great way to wrap up the story. <laughs> For me, I'm just glad that it's over. That said, this probably was the strongest issue out of the entire 24 so far. Six out of ten. Next up, Wonder Woman number six. Uh, the strongest, the strongest of the entire series so far. So I can't talk at all. That's not abnormal. But uh Wonder Woman number six, the strongest of the entire series so far. And that's 100 percent accurate. Also 100% accurate is how weak it is. Grail, who is my favorite Wonder Woman villain, who, side note, I think should be a Justice League or, or hell, now a Titans villain. But, I mean, I get it, and that's neither here nor there. Anyway, Grail fights Diana through the whole thing. Um, it's a good thing that the artist knew how to draw her because there was nothing else to indicate who the fuck she was. No personality, no voice, just drawn very well. And a caption box after caption box after caption box after caption box. Wicked caption box after wicked, wicked caption box. It's insane how many caption boxes. That's the entire book. Um, and there's a lot of them. I feel like I'm reading subtitles on a movie and they just randomly show up on different parts of the screen. <laughs> yuck. Like, way yuck. And, oh, um, next issue is Superman and Wonder Woman go to the space mall. So to move past this, we got a, uh, I guess we get a shopping issue? Anyway. And then the Trinity stuff is in the back. That's just as good as the rest of the stuff. Uh, have fun, y'all. Again, strongest issue in the series so far six out of ten and superman number 11 um with david baldion and i think that's how you say his name and rex locus on art and colors the art looks a high it looks like a high quality cartoon um one that i would definitely watch actually uh if it wasn't what we were getting here let me put it to, let me put it like that um, again, for the third time in a row, this is easily the strongest issue so far, but it, it, um, the plot is weak. Every hiccup or problem is solved so fast without the plot really moving forward much. Um, everything feels inconsequential. Uh, oftentimes it sounds like the characters are cartoons. The best that I can do here, considering the art. And what it offers is a 6 out of 10. And those are the only books that I have decided that I'm going to squish down until honorable mentions. The rest of them I have fleshed out as much as I typically do. A little bit more so because Rob and Brandon are here. And I feel like y'all are getting a little robbed. But uh, um, tis. So, first up, we're going to kick things off. With a little bit of Catwoman, Catwoman number 62, written by Tini Howard, art by Carmine D. Giandomenico, colors by Veronica Gandini, lettering by Lucas Gattoni, with a covered 
cover by DNA himself, David Nakayama. God, I love his art. Um, so this issue starts out with Selena attempting a weapon size. Uh, I use that word here unusually uh, because she doesn't pull it off. She's caught right in the middle of it. And by none other than Amanda Waller herself, who you guessed it, wants to recruit Selena into one of her strike squads for, for one mission, she says. Just one. Oh, yeah. Uh, that all happened a long time ago, by the way, according to the caption. In present day, Selena seeks out Waller to pay off her debt. She gets chipped and joins Ravager, uh, Ravager Sportsmaster Jeanette, Clock King, and Black Alice in this incarnation of the Suicide Squad. I'm sure by now most people know who Sportsmaster Ravager and Clock King, Clock King are. Um, Jeanette, some people may not remember. Gail Simone created her back in like 2009 or 2010. Um, she's a banshee, basically. Superhuman strength, long lifespan, sonic scream. You know, typical banshee. Now, uh, I'm Black Alice fan. Little known corner of the universe kind of character. Uh, she was a minor character. We most recently saw her in the Lazarus Planet, Naza Rain, Mutant Bullshit event. <laughs> um, but at the end of that, she was left stuck in a different dimension, the spirit world or somewhere. I don't remember right now. Um, but it's not here, I can tell you that. So I'm glad that she's in here, but I'm bummed that such a thing has been overlooked. Because, I mean, we brought her back just to not see her again, which to me was stupid. Um, flagrant misuse of one of my favorite minor characters. <laughs> uh, in any case, the mission is to go into Kondok and steal a precious Egyptian piece called the Beard of Hatshetsut. No biggie for Catwoman, let alone a whole team of thieves behind her, except Black Adam is the one that's in possession of it. In the middle of the fight between them all, Alice and Selina hide in a hidden chamber where Black Adam is holding religious artifacts that he doesn't want the people of Kondak to acknowledge. They were able to hide in that chamber because Black Alice's power is to be able to siphon off the powers of others. And uh, he would command his powers back to him and she'd lose them. A little bit of a tussle there and it was kind of neat to see that. I dug it. Every time it happened, Black Adam got more and more mad, made the uh, battle kick off in a big, big way. Uh, so Selena in that chamber where all the gods and religious artifacts and statues are, she touches the statue of Bastet, the Egyptian goddess of cats. Then she's transported to speak with Bastet herself in her home that is in the shadow of the Rock of Eternity. She's the one that gave Selena her extra lives. Nah, no surprise there. Uh, you know, as this issue, she says that all cats love Selena, but Bastet's own six cats will help her anytime she calls them. Sobat, Hunt, Ak, Zozer, Aten, and Mal. She is transported back to the fight, and Black Alice reaches out to Dr. Fate and siphons his teleportation ability to get them all the hell out of there. Selena reports back to Waller, wondering where teammates went, etc. Um, they're back in their cells, but Waller says that Selena was seen, so she must be eliminated. Beep. 
Waller blows up the chip, but Selena, of course, comes right back. Waller threatens her more. You're locked in here with me. I'll fill you up bullet holes. What do you got to say to that? And that is when Selena calls on the cats for help. Sobek, Hut, Ankh, Zozer, Aten, and Mao, like I just told you, whose first letters spell out Shazam. And then she speeds away. This was pretty cool, but I am approaching it cautiously going on. First, the Black Alice flub. Second, we just gave Shazam powers to Selena Kyle. What does this mean? How long will it last? What happens now? Um, does she run out of lives when the scars are all gone? The marks on her back? Or is that going to be when she loses her Shazam powers? Ugh, that, there's, there's, what happens now? There's so many questions and no answer, no, no chance of answers anytime soon, at least not within the next month, which feels like forever to me. Uh, so I'm happy with this, but I am a little let down and also curious beyond belief. Uh, with the art and the colors as good as they are in this issue, even with the trepidation and the flub with Black Alice, I am still giving this a 7.5 out of 10 for me, mostly because of the Black Alice oopsie is what brought the score down that far. Had that not been in there, we would probably be looking at an 8.5. So uh, that was Catwoman number 62. And, um, you know, I wish I would have, I wish I had some notes from my compatriots to see how they feel. But on the other side of things, I'm kind of glad that I get to hear him, hear that I get to keep their opinions all myself. Ha ha ha. Anyway, so here we are. Next up, Green Lantern War Journal number six, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Montos, colors from Adriana Lucas, letters by Dave Sharp, with Montos and Matt Herms on the cover. So the fight is going hardcore. Where we left off, it starts again. The Radiant's the Radiant Dead's numbers keep multiplying in huge droves. For every one that they kill, 20 more show up. Lantern Shepard unfortunately gets injured and is about to quickly turn into one of them. And that's when John realizes that they're basically masters of light, literally bending it to their will. So he wonders, what if a lantern was made of light? John converts himself into... A lantern of light and he uses it to shield shepherd and then it's time to take on the revenant queen not before dropping some knowledge first thanks to john asking we know who the revenant queen is the daughter of Olgren. remember war world <laughs> well here's a thread that we needed tied up oh pkj you knew what you were doing the whole time you sly dog the, the Radiant Dead aren't constructs. We find that out as well. They are, basically, windows for Olgren's light to come through. And it's not a very nice light at all. It looks like Olgren wants to run stuff again. And by stuff, I mean literally the entire multiverse. Um, then we see the Revenant Queen grab John. Then a green light-filled crater with Shepard looking distressed about it shows up on the next panel. And then next, we see a dark stars, dark stars symbol in the sky. Or, I mean, a, a radiant dead one. They're so close. Anyway, it's one of them. <laughs> uh, and that's where the issue ends. Man, I, I just... 
what the hell happened now? John can't catch a break, not to save his life. Um, no matter what universe he's in or what universe he comes from. Uh, this story continues to be one that I look forward to every single month. Uh, the art was good and the colors sent it home. I, I've been having a great time with this. All six issues. This one is no different. So it gets an 8 out of 10 from me. Excuse me while I take a sip. Mm, maybe two. All right. Next up on the plate is Nightwing number 111. Written by Tom Taylor. Pencils by Sam Basri. Inks by Vicente Cifuentes on some select pages. Colors by Adriano Lucas. Letters by Wes Abbott. Abbott. With Bruno Redondo bringing us that cover. And it's gorgeous too. Typical Bruno Redondo looks, looks so good. Uh, we're in Gotham and Batman has to put a call into Nightwing. Heartless has come to Gotham and Batman got to the scene a little too late. He calls it in and he sees a young boy named Eko Heat. He's hiding nearby, nearby behind a car. Um, this sets off some memory pages and panels throughout the book of Bruce learning how to be a proper father figure, like reading Dick bedtime stories uh, to build a relationship rather than, you know, read him a story. Uh, so Batman doesn't call Dick in to hunt Heartless. He calls him in because as Batman, he scared the boy and he doesn't want to do that. Dick talks to the boy instead, and he turns out that he's the kid's hero. Kid even has him on his pencil box and lunchbox and stuff. He asks him about the guy that killed his dad and uh, while did so while they were playing video games. The thing is, Heartless didn't talk during the murder, and he always does. He wants to know the pain that the murder will cause. Who's going to be left? Dick thinks something is up and wants to go examine the body. So they do. They go to head to the morgue. Batman whips out a zip line, and that's when Dick tells Bruce that he's developed a strange fear of heights. So they take the stairs. They are examining the body, and they see that the wound is messy and also not a heartless kind of thing there. Uh, he cauterizes his wounds as he makes them. One second. Excuse me. All right. So uh, Dick tells him he's afraid of heights. They take the stairs. They get there. They see the wound is messy. Um, earlier, when Dick was talking to Iko, Iko's uncle showed up to take him. Dick makes sure by talking to the uncle that he's got everything that he needs to take care of Iko. Mentions that reading stories often helps. Uh the uncle tells Nightwing that Iko's parents were really wealthy so that they will be fine and they have everything they need, which makes Nightwing happy to hear. I bring this up because the story closes out with us finding out that the uncle is behind the death of Iko's parents and he's tight and he's taking Iko and running away now because Nightwing is involved. Man, he's pissed off. Um, that's where the issue ends and 
there was a little too much flashback, but just by a little bit, not super excessive by any stretch. Um, other than that, it was pretty enjoyable. I'm I'm ready for the heartless story to kick off. I mean, he's been in the background for quite some time, and I do understand that Nightwing has been playing a huge part of the DC universe at large. In fact, I mean that's he was the uh front runner for the dawn of DC, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. That said, um Heartless has been hanging into the background and uh he he needs to come forward already. I mean he 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 needs to come forward. Like come on man. Um with Nightwing being so active in the main DC universe uh such a big part of it in any case uh i feel like taylor is the one that kind of has to be writing nightwing he keeps nightwing interesting while keeping the story a little slower it doesn't stall out and for a book like this that does have these big huge things that are sitting there lingering in the background while multiverse stuff is going on and, and and people are turning into wolves and shit um perfect choice he's able to do that fantastically uh there's also a backup in this one uh written by michael w conrad art by francesco francavia and letters from west abbott this is a story sent back uh it's during the black plague it seems um it's about somebody that calls themselves the son of gray it's a two-parter story confronting a medieval joker in a jester costume because he killed well i'm uh gray i guess the son of gray is there because the joker guy killed his dad so son of gray means his dad is gray i'm assuming anyway the son of gray is dick grayson but that's about the only thing that makes sense in here it's a two-part story i don't see where the hell this is going to do or what it could possibly add um also, I tend to like Frank Avia's art, but this is really mid for me. Um, story seems pointless. It's, it's just not interesting at all. Altogether, I'm going to have to grade this issue based on the main story alone, or else it would get really bad, because that backup just bombed. Um, so that said, this gets a 7.5 out of me. And... With that, I am going to be right back. You guys don't go anywhere. It will only be a few seconds. Hey, everybody. I am super sorry. I don't have the slightest idea as to why that did that um it's very peculiar just canceled my stream in the middle of streaming so hopefully that doesn't happen again i uh will just assume that it's not going to and i'm gonna just go ahead and carry on with the show so uh picking up where we left off we are gonna start on Titans number eight. Titans number eight, also written by Tom Taylor, with art by Stephen Segovia, colors by Annette Kwok, letters by Wes Abbott, and the cover came from Dan Mora, another 
awesome cover. Um, this one goes by a little fast, but it's pretty good. We kick it off with Evil Raven going to hell and giving Trigon the soul gem that holds Rachel. Our Rachel, our Raven. Then we quickly move to the news where Dick's sister, the mayor, is debating Sergeant Steele, that guy that's the star of Tom King's Wonder Woman run. Yay. Glad that shit's showing up in other places. Anyway, the Titans get an alert that a Category 4 hurricane has switched courses and they're going to go help people that are now stranded and isolated from help, including the rescue boats. And that they are headed there in the brand new T-Jet. Cool feature of the T-Jet? It can boom tube. Cyborg, so awesome. Trigon is, though, and he wants to know why Dark Raven is pretending to be Rachel. And she says that it's she, she's got plans to manipulate the Titans into doing her bidding. So Trigon seems really super impressed with that and wants to show her something, right? Right. Um, it's her potential. Now that she has shed herself of Rachel and truly is Dark Raven, she can become what he calls the Dark-Winged Queen. Oh, that's the issue. I know it was fast. Uh, I am so into this. Um, I read through it fast. It reads fast, but it 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 nothing's smushed together and nothing skipped over. It's perfectly paced. Um, so far anyway, this really has my interest held. I mean, every, everybody loves a good Raven story. And I feel like Raven has been needing one herself. This evolved form of dark Raven is pretty cool. I mean, all you get to see is a shadow of it in the book, but it looks way bigger than Trigon has extra eyes, maybe some kind of gem crown thing up at the top of the forehead, maybe, or maybe those are more eyes. A really odd smile that is both creepy and leaves you feeling like it could have been drawn better. <laughs> but altogether, as quick of a read as this was, it was good. It it was really good. I'm I'm giving it an 8.25 out of 10 um, because I think it deserves it. It, it, it was uh, well-drawn, well-written, and uh, continues to be enjoyable. And what more can you hope for in a book? Nothing? Exactly. That's what I thought. So we are going to take that after solving that mystery of what can you complain about? Taking on Batman number 144. Written by Chip Zdarsky. Pencils and inks by Giuseppe Camoncoli and Stefano Nisi. As well as Andrea Sorrentino doing both. Alejandro Sanchez and Dave Stewart respectively bringing colors to each art team. Letters came from Clayton Coles, and the cover was brought to us by Camoncoli, Nisi, and Tomu More. Uh, here we are. Joker, year one, part three in Batman. And we start right where we left off. Batman with his ear protection on, so he doesn't become Jokerized himself, and the Bat family already all Jokerized have been being kept safe by Selina, who locked them in a cage. Uh, Batman frees them. We see them again, all in costume, of course, but they are different and not just Jokerized. We'll get into that later, though. Batman opens the cage, drops 
every smoke pellet that he has and runs so that they have something to chase while he tries to figure out what to do. He knows that he's too old to take them all, and he's behind on the case. Um, what's the dissolving GCPD ring, the two red hoods, how it ties to the police department, and he knows he's out of time. Next, we're back at Wayne Manor, way back, with Bruce and Alvin. Alfred throwing a fundraiser for music, but it's really bait for the Red Hood gang. While staying in touch with Jim, he stays with the party to make sure no one there gets hurt because he was somewhere else. Jim heads into the precinct to look for Manny Gabrice, a dirty cop that just seized 24 kilos of cocaine. That's a lot of cocaine. While that is happening, the Joker is there dressed as a clown. No, just to be perfectly clear, they talk about bringing in drugs they don't specifically say it's cocaine but i mean they do talk about taking a bump so i mean anyway while that's happening the joker is there and he's dressed as a birthday party clown reporting a crime he got bit by a kid that wanted to see if he tasted funny i feel like we've heard that joke very recently or maybe i just heard it but in any case Manny Gabriz, the crooked cop, is also the new leader of the Red Hood gang, and several officers there are members. They don their masks, steal the cocaine, and some other stuff as soon as they take it into evidence. As they shoot and make their way out, Joker lets loose a few balloons that are all explosives, and they do what explosives do. Boom. The gang is confused, and then we see Joker holding an assault rifle and throwing off some grenades. While this is happening, the commissioner finds a note left by Batman that says he knows everything, which freaks the commissioner out. Remember, this isn't Jim Gordon. We're back with Batman in the now, and he's making his way through the building and runs into the Jokerized Red Hood that looks like a Red Hood Batman amalgamation before knocking him out via injection. He goes into the office and finds a laughing bag toy laying on the center of the desk. The Joker is there and he tells him to open it. Batman sees that the box isn't making any noise, but the frequency is too high for normal operation. And it calls in a bat crashing in through the window. Joker begins to taunt him, saying that he could have killed him at any time, but didn't because he loves Batman. To which Batman replies that he let Joker live even though he hates him. Then we're back with Jim who turned back on all the security cameras so that the commissioner and his entire gang will go to prison. Uh, the, or not his gang, but the one he's part of. And the Joker as the rest of the Red Hood gang to experiment on and, you know, like killing stuff. So uh, the commissioner's going to jail and Joker stole the rest of the gang to uh, have fun with, I suppose. The laugh bag, it turns out, calls the bats, and the frequency of the bats' ultrasonic echolocation was the cure to the virus. Hmm. Later, while Bruce contemplates how many times the Joker could have one if he didn't love Batman, Joker heads back to the bar, Flunkies, where he first got beat up, walks in, locks the door behind himself, and turns out the lights, all while wearing a smile. That's the issue. And uh, that's a lot of back and forth in the time uh, 
jumping and I will echo a past opinion of my co-host Rob here from the last issue. Jumping back and forth in time, especially this much, should be clearly marked. Um, other than that problem, that singular one, this book was spectacular and I mean that. The art in this issue here, well, let's let's skip Sorrentino because... <laughs> All right, you ever hear one of those people that meet celebrities and artists and start crying because they're starstruck? I think that would be me with Sorrentino. Um, mwah, flawless uh, with Stuart's colors. It's just awesome. But uh, Kevin Coley, Nisi, and Sanchez, this was the best I've ever seen Kevin Coley, at least in recent memory. Um, though that fails, I'm pretty sure I'm right. This, <laughs> this trip uh, through Joker year one was one that I thought you'd hear me complaining about the whole way through. Like, why would we need a Joker year one? I went in with loads of skepticism in pulling off what would be needed for a good year one arc on the Joker. Because I would have been picky as hell about it. But I'm telling you that this was done amazingly well. Flipping between the different periods of time without captions indicating where you are or when you are or when it is happening, any of those, it's truly the only issue that I have here. But I I do have questions. Um, red Hood. We see him in an outfit with a bat cowl and a cape, like Batman's except red. The costume looks pretty Red Hood. But what about the rest of the Bat family in this book? We saw the last issue in the cell. We saw them more and more of them in this issue. There were six Bat family members in the cell that Selena wrangled them into. Stephanie is there with white hair to match the white skin for some reason. Dick looks like Dick on Joker Toxin in his normal Nightwing costume. Babs, the same thing. Just as you would think she looks. No cowl, though. Cass's cowl and costume is very different but she's identifiable and that leaves two people left one is robin in a very different but still very obvious robin costume the other is batman in a trench coat but not batman 666 because there's no spikes or anything we see robin next to dick right next to him and he is significantly smaller than him so which robin is it this is the shortest member of the Bat family, apparently, so it should be Damien. So then I guess that leaves Tim in the Batman costume? Let me know if you think I'm wrong. I'd love to be certain, or at least no. Anyway, um, this issue is fantastic, and you're missing out if you haven't read it. Um, 9.25 out of 10. This arc is awesome. I feel like this show went by in a breeze, but I do talk fast, especially when I have Everything written down for me so I don't stumble all over the place. Uh, but those were the books. So let me go ahead and get into my top three. In third place, we have... <laughs> Got to bring my stuff up, I see. <laughs> in third place, we have Titans number eight. In second place, we have Batman number 144. And in first place, we have uh, John Constantine Hellblazer number two. Um, absolutely fantastic. I'm going to say, 
I'm go- I'm going to say my favorite moment is uh, when we're reading Bruce uh, assessing the situation, letting his bat family out, knowing that he's too old, knowing that he's out of time, knowing he's got a million things to try and figure out and he just can't do it right now. And then later on, him realizing that had the Joker not handed him the solution to the problem that the Joker caused, he, he wouldn't have won. And now he has doubts about how many times that that, that has happened. You know, a big ego shaker for Batman. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that heads to. Um, all of that emotional journey that... Uh, for Batman in this issue, the entire thing. That's my favorite moment. It was just fantastic. And it's, you know what? I'm just going to leave it there. I didn't have to cover world's finest wonder woman or Superman in depth. And that means it was a good day. So, uh, that's it. Uh, thank you everyone for watching this super duper duper fast uh podcast week um thank you so much we will be back next week covering all of dc's weekly releases it won't be just me this time i promise it'll be worth watching um but we will be back next week same geek time same geek channel and that is the show we're getting out of here so you have to as well be careful out there and remember in the geek matrix Everyone has a home in the Geek Matrix. You are not alone. Have a good one.